Hello, and welcome to episode 10 of the Courtside Podcast, an NBA podcast. This episode is brought to you by YouTube channels Highway Temptation and Captain Barbo, who make weekly content on YouTube. And don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Good evening, everybody, and we are doing an exclusive episode right now for episode 10 of the Courtside Podcast as we do a playoff review for the Boston Celtics and the Brooklyn Nets series in the first round matchup of the Eastern Conference playoffs. And now we look at what we have from Monday night as the Boston Celtics in Game 4 at Barclays Center finished off this series as they took Game 4, 116-112, to thanks to Jason Tame's 29 points and 5 assists. However, the big story in that game and probably this series was that the Celtics defense, led by Defensive Player of the Year Marcus Smart, protected another lead in Brooklyn as they took Game 4, despite the fact that Durant had the best game in his series in Game 4, as Kevin Durant, the Nets forward, shot 42% from the field and got himself 39 points in this one. And Tatum and others kept the punches going back and forth offensively until midway through the fourth quarter with Brooklyn. They look like they're about to make it into a one to two possession game. Tatum gets fouled out due to Scott Foster, who has a reputation of making a lot of suspicious calls. I mean, it was an inbound play that apparently Tatum and Drogic were going back and forth trying to fight for the ball. And it looked like both of those guys just fell on their own backs. But they ended up calling an offensive foul against Jason Tatum, which fouled them out with about less than five minutes left in the game. However, the Celtics going back and forth with the punch offensively ended up to close this 116-112. And despite the fact that what we saw in game four as the Celtics held a lead throughout the entire game and even the largest lead of 15 points, it's kind of similar to what we saw in game three. Basically having three straight quarters of dominance from the Celtics and then the fourth quarter comes in and the Brooklyn Nets decide to go on a tear. I mean, in the fourth quarter for this game four, they actually scored eight points more than the Celtics, outscoring them 34 to 26 in that quarter alone. However, that wasn't able to get the job done. And now we look actually to the team stats right now as the Brooklyn Nets having one of their better offensive games, shooting 51% from the field and 32 points in the paint, which I have to say is actually something that I was not expecting out of Brooklyn just because they try to work on the wings. They try to use more of the perimeter with Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and dish out to Curry, Drogic, and just see what they can possibly find on these second chance baskets, which comes off of Andre Drummond usually off the offensive rebound. And speaking of which, a surprising factor in this one, Andre Drummond was starting in this game, but he wasn't in the game. Andre Drummond only played 3 minutes and 36 seconds. And Steve Nash, which probably made the only move he can do as a coach. I mean, the only other move we saw him do with the roster was possibly at the end of Game 3, putting in Blake Griffin for about 7-8 minutes. He ends up putting Nick Claxton, a young guy with fresher legs, into the game for about 23 minutes or so of gameplay. And in this one, Nick Claxton for the Brooklyn Nets could have easily won this one just off the free throw line. However, Claxton, who has been known throughout this entire series, have struggles at the line, struggled probably the worst in playoff history. He was 1-11 from the free throw line. That's a 9.1% from the free throw line. That's less than 10%, and that's worse than even Shaquille O'Neal. He missed about 10 straight free throws to begin the game. And that was the new NBA record, beating out Shaquille O'Neal, who did it with the Miami Heat. And we looked down the line as well. As I said before, Kevin Durant had the best game he had in this series, in this game four, with 39 points, 9 assists, and 7 rebounds. So he was close to a triple-double. But at the same time, 
the Celtics defense on the perimeter was elite, and he shot 3-11 from 3, and then 13-31 and for the entire game. Kyrie Irving was there too as well, 20 points in this one, almost 50% from the field. Seth Curry, I mean, Seth Curry was the most accurate player on that roster from a guard standpoint. 23 points in this one, and was 9-13 from the field goal, almost 70% in this one. Uh, just about 69.2 to be exact from the field for field goal percentage, and 5-9 from 3. However, the real story in this one, in my mind, is that Bruce Brown, who has usually been the contributor offensively to this Brooklyn Nets team, as crazy as that does sound, in game two and three, he was the leading scorer in those games. He ends up finishing off with two points and one and three from the field off shooting. Bruce Brown played about 24 minutes in this one, and he only got himself two points. A player that we have seen him score 26, 24, 22, probably playing the best game we've been seeing out of his playoff career in some of these games in this series. And he ends up having a goose egg of a performance, almost not even scoring this one off of 24 minutes. However, he finishes off with two points, shooting about 33% from the field. And then the Boston players, hey, give them credit. Besides the fact that Jason Tatum got six turnovers, majority of them being off of offensive fouls that are questionable from Scott Foster, who has a reputation to put down suspected, you know, 50-50 plays, calling them fouls easily. Tam ended up finishing off with 29 points. Jalen Brown, 22 points, 9-20 from the field in that one, but eight rebounds. So he was being aggressive down low to get those rebounds, which was huge because all the second chance points would usually bring Brooklyn back into the game. However, the one thing I have to put a spotlight on, Grant Williams in this game for the Boston Celtics. So despite the fact that, yeah, sure, 14 points is something that's more expected out of Grant now, four and six from three. Shot 62.5% from field goal overall in the game. He was accurate in this one. He played great defense against Kevin Durant. There was even one clip I saw on social media where Kevin Durant is basically frustrating. He slams the ball out of bounds as Grant Williams gets hyped up as the Boston Celtics bench uplifts him, and they end up winning that one in Brooklyn for Game 4 and sweeping the Brooklyn Nets. 116-112, they won that Game 4. And now we look back at the series itself. Now, the Boston Celtics who ended up finishing off this series in about a week in a seven-game series against the Brooklyn Nets, went it 4-0, and the games they played, as close as they were, it was a lot of the Celtics being the better team at the end. I mean, we're talking about game one was based on a buzzer beater as they won that 115-114. A 17-point comeback by the Celtics as they won that one by seven over Brooklyn. And then they go to Barkley Center, and they win both of those games, Game 3 and Game 4, while basically leading the entire way. So the Boston Celtics not only outscored this Brooklyn Nets team throughout four games in this series, but as well, they out-rebound them, and they out-assist them. And this is a Brooklyn Nets team at the end of the year that was moving the ball phenomenally. I mean, we're looking at the stats right now per average, 25.8 assists per game from Boston, the Nets 22.3. And that just shows you that the Boston Celtics, even though as close as the offense is and how great of an offense that Brooklyn has, they were still making the punches. They were right there. And then we take a little bit of, of a backdrop right now, and let's look at the takeaways from this series. The three takeaways I take right now, one, Boston as a team is still improving and growing. As one of the best teams in the NBA, and some can even argue as the best team right now in the playoffs, 
they're still improving. The offense looked a little bit weak in the first half of every single game. And then they're trying to finish off against the Brooklyn Nets, who had great games. Actually, in game three and four, outscored the Boston Celtics in the fourth quarter alone. So the Celtics are still improving. They're still growing. Jason Tatum didn't have the best series himself. But when he went into Brooklyn, 39 points there. And then he ends up going off for this game four, as I said before, with 29 himself as well. I mean, honestly, in the last eight games, the Brooklyn Nets have only won one game against the Boston Celtics. And that was their first ever matchup during the regular season. So Jason Tatum has played his best games against the Brooklyn Nets in the playoffs. I mean, his playoff high was about 50 last year in a game three against the Brooklyn Nets when they had that James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving uh, trio going at him. But the Boston Celtics are still growing, and Jason Tatum, even though as a rookie faced off against LeBron in the Eastern Conference Finals, is still getting used to the playoffs as being the main guy. The second takeaway I took to this, as I said before, a tight contested sweep. I don't like people saying that this was bound to happen. This was a closed series despite what the ending result was. I mean, as I said before, a buzzer beater in game one, a comeback in game two, and then the Brooklyn Nets, I mean, they're trying to come back and scrape their way to make it a two-something possession game. I mean, the Celtics had about a 15-point lead in game four, and it dropped down to only a four-point win. So it was definitely a tight contested sweep for the Boston Celtics over the Brooklyn Nets. However, mind you, that just means that the Brooklyn Nets, even though they have their own struggles, and we all seen what's been going on in the media with Ben Simmons, Durant, and Kyrie Irving, a lot of off-season questions that they have more than answers. I mean, this Brooklyn Nets team was fighting at the end. There's no doubt in my mind. And that does take me to my third takeaway in this series. The Brooklyn Nets go into the offseason with more questions than answers. What's going to happen to Ben Simmons? Is Kyrie Irving going to come back for the team? Is Steve Nash still able to coach in the NBA? And those are going to be a lot of questions that we're going to be seeing at least until this offseason upcoming to October for the next year for the NBA. But I got to tell you right now, the draft is coming up in June. Brooklyn can possibly make some moves to take on that because I don't really feel like they're going to be able to buy anybody out. I mean, Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving are making a majority of the salary coming off of the roster for the Brooklyn Nets and contract-wise. So, in reality, you can't really go out and buy a huge name guy out of the offseason. You can possibly do a sign-and-trade. I mean, I know Bradley Beal might be available, but it's going to be real hard to even attract anybody going to the Brooklyn Nets just because of how competitive the East has become. I mean, the Brooklyn Nets, even with the most skilled duel, as they say, of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, they are not even the favorite in the Eastern Conference, let alone the favorite duo in the Eastern Conference, from what it looks like as of now. So there's a lot of questions right now going towards Brooklyn's way that needs answers during the offseason. And to finish off this episode and this, this review of this series, we look at the Boston Celtics and their possible future in the second round. Right now, the possible future for the second round will be between a matchup of the Milwaukee Bucks and the Chicago Bulls. It's looking like right now that the Bucks will probably win that series later on this week on Wednesday as the Bucks are leading 3-1 over Chicago as they took two games on the road at the United Center. But I have to say, though, the Boston Celtics are 2-2 two two during the regular season against the Milwaukee Bucks, and it was always the home team that won in those matchups. Which means possibly the Celtics getting the second seed at the end of the year was probably the best thing that could happen to them just because the TD Garden is going to be rocking. And I don't think there's going to be a single team 
in the NBA that's going to be winning at Boston. There's not a single team in the NBA that gives me that confidence that they can win a road game at the TD Garden. And honestly, I think Milwaukee has the best chance at it if you look at the Eastern Conference, but I highly doubt that could possibly happen. And now the Chicago Bulls are 2-1. and one. My apologies. The Boston Celtics are 2-1 against the Chicago Bulls during the regular season. And it's most likely not going to happen. It's an unlikely matchup for the second round. But an impressive Bulls comeback if they do make it in seven games against Milwaukee Bucks. That could put the Bulls on a radar. That could bring the Celtics a little bit of an issue. So the real question is right now, what is looking for the Celtics' future? We're most likely looking at a Bucks celtics second round series. And for that one, I do have the Boston Celtics just because I think that the defense itself against Kevin Durant was so phenomenal that I'm pretty sure Coach Adoka is going to be able to adapt and adjust for Giannis Antetokounmpo. Either to go to a 3-2 type of zone or more or less what they did with Kevin Durant, kind of closing the gaps for him to bail out and pass it around. It's going to be real interesting what that defense does against Giannis Antetokounmpo in Milwaukee if they do face them in the second round. Now, the future of what we're seeing now with KD and Kyrie. And before I even go into that, I just want to address what is on everyone's mind when they look at Brooklyn. Kevin Durant and Kyrie are not a Robin to someone's Batman. All right, I'm going to let you know right now. I've been seeing a lot of things where people are saying that, oh, Kevin Durant was not able to win a championship without Stephen Curry, or, oh, Kyrie Irving was not able to win a championship without LeBron. In reality, Curry would not have been able to win a championship without Kevin Durant. In reality, LeBron would not be able to win in Cleveland without Kyrie Irving. I'm going to first go straight to Kyrie right now because Kyrie was going back and forth with LeBron, both of them scoring 40 to 30 points a game in that Comeback, of course, the historically 2016 finals where the Cavaliers won in seven games against Golden State. All right. Without Kyrie Irving on that team, LeBron does not win a championship in Cleveland. And then in Kevin Durant's case, when he went to the Golden State Warriors, he was the best player on that roster. And I repeat and reiterate myself, he was the best offensive player on that roster. Kevin Durant can give you a bucket anywhere on the court. He was able to dribble back and forth off ball scoring with the dribble and scoring off the catch and shoot he was a phenomenal athlete in golden state let alone in that 2017 2018 season where kevin Durant faced off against lebron james in the nba finals he went to cleveland in game three stuck two threes ryan lbj's face there's no doubt in my mind without kevin Durant's presence in 2018 2017 the warriors do not win a finals during that time period they do not. I mean, don't get me wrong, it still would have been a competitive series, but Kevin Durant definitely put that Golden State team over the hump. Despite the fact that they lost to the Toronto Raptors in 2019 in the finals after going a bizarre, I believe it was a 72-win season in that one. But either way, Kevin Durant being injured in that series and coming back and still getting himself injured again out for an entire year, that just shows you that they needed Kevin Durant to finish out the Toronto Raptors with Kawhi Leonard. So there is no doubt in my mind that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, still great players, but, I mean, don't change the script. Kevin Durant and Kyrie got locked out by this Boston Celtics defense, and people need to put that on notice instead of thinking about all the negative of the Brooklyn Nets duo. So if you ask me, there's still two great players, great all-time players 
And the only questions I see right now, as I said before, Kyrie's contract. What's his future in Brooklyn? Will he stay in Brooklyn? Because I know in a press conference after the game, post-game, he was talking about, oh, you know, I'm going to be here with KD. I'm going to be here with the GM, the owner. This is our franchise, and we're going to build up some gas for the offseason. And they're looking forward to the offseason to work. But, I mean, he said the same thing in Boston. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. He said the same thing in Boston, wanted his number retired in the Raptors. And at the same time, t talking about extensions and long-term deals. And Stephen A. Smith made a great point on this on first take a couple of days ago. You cannot give that man a long-term deal. He's only played four seasons in his 11-season career where he's actually played more than 60 games in the regular season, let alone show up. And the last thing I'll probably have to say for Brooklyn's future Nash staying with the Brooklyn Nets is very questionable. There's been reports and sources that say that Nash job is safe after this playoff series. And I understand that he's only been two years with the Brooklyn Nets. In the first year, it was only a foot on the line to kind of put Brooklyn away from even getting any bit further in that playoffs. And he played a great way for Kevin Durant. But, I mean, in the second season, you got two coaches and Mike D'Antoni and, of course, the one that was going off to sweep against you in Coach Adoka that ended up beating you out mentally in a coaching standpoint. Mike D'Antoni, I thought, honestly, after Steve Nash's first year, Mike D'Antoni should have just easily taken the role as head coach. And I'm very surprised about the Boston Celtics turnaround, but they've been the best team in the past three months in the sense of efficiency offensively and defensively. So Nash staying in Brooklyn I do agree with it. However, at the same time, if nothing really changes in the next couple of seasons, hopefully it doesn't take too long, maybe two seasons, then Steve Nash should be out that door because there's definitely a lot of coaches in the coaching carousel for next year that can easily take over as a head coach over the Brooklyn Nets team. But however, those answers will be answered in the offseason. And I want to thank you again for looking up on this podcast, the Courtside Podcast, for this playoff review between the Boston Celtics and the Brooklyn Nets. The Celtics sweep Brooklyn four games to nothing in a seven-game series, and the Boston Celtics will move on to the second round in the NBA playoffs.